this being the last uh, Lord's Day of the year, uh, the Lord has led me to take uh, a break from the Christmas Words series and also a break from the Book of Acts series that, God willing, will resume, Acts will resume in the new year, to stand on a topic to address a need that I perceive in our fellowship, and I trust that you will be able to uh, resonate with the uh, topic that the Lord has laid upon my heart. This being the last day of 23, and just in mere hours, we'll enter into the first day of 24, I think the matter that the Lord would have me to preach about today is very vital between the transition of this year to the transition of next year. I'll let you in on how I have been praying uh, this week leading up to delivering this message. I've been praying something along these lines. Lord, may unforgiveness of others up to December 31st correct to full forgiveness of others before January 1st. Cause repentance and undelayed forgiveness of others start in my heart, move in every heart, let it be so, amen. I want to do something that's maybe unexpected. I'd like to give you some seconds to silently and individually pray for you to ask the Lord by his Holy Spirit to reveal any unforgiveness that you have in your heart toward anyone. I ask the Lord to show you if there's any unforgiveness in your mind and heart. Lord, thank you for moving from seat to seat and from pew to pew. Thank you for moving behind the pulpit and the seat flanking the pulpit. Thank you, Lord, that no news is good news if we ask you to reveal any unforgiveness. But Lord, if any of us have had unforgiveness revealed to us by the Spirit of God, may we ask for your forgiveness for that. And Before tonight at 10.30, may we reach out to anyone in the assembly we need to assure of our forgiveness so that we can assemble tonight with clear consciences in this matter. I ask this and we ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 verse 13 is the main text for this message, Colossians 3, verse 13. I'm going to read verse 12 because it leads into 13. This is the word of God is found in Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, now 13, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. This verse is placed in the part of the book of Colossians that is in the duty part of the book. 
Uh, This verse finds its place in context of specific Christian life duties that are being conveyed to the church at Colossae. When you look at the book of Colossians, the first two and a half chapters are giving doctrine. The last one and a half chapters of Colossians give duties because doctrine always implies duties. Teaching always leads to behaving. And so in this cluster of commands that are Christian duties, we find the command to forgive one another in the same way that Christ has forgiven each of us. The context leading up to 3 verse 13 is doctrine about Jesus Christ, that he is deliverer, that he is the exact image of God the Father, that he is preeminent in all of his creation, that is eternal, that he's providential, that he's head of the church, he's the prototype of bodily resurrection, Christ is fully divine, the lone reconciler to humans to God, the hope of glory, omnipotent, and the personification of wisdom and knowledge, and that Christ is the forgiver of all of our transgressions. Think of it, the forgiver of all of your transgressions. The forgiver of all of my transgressions. Colossians 2, 13 and 14, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, that is Christ, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. What a staggering truth. What a motivating truth. What a compelling truth. What a demanding truth that we would not be Vessels that only hold on to that kind of forgiveness, but that we would be vessels with holes in us, as it were, that we would disperse that kind of forgiveness because we ourselves make the choice to forgive those who have offended us. May we never forget the magnitude of God's forgiveness of us as to what he has nailed to the cross, taken out of the way, canceled the certificate of debt to heaven. May we never Forget that. And in the remembering of that, may we see ourselves as obligated to forgive others. So, it says that when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Let me ask you. You having had all of your offenses against holy God and other people forgiven by Christ, How could you, how could I dare to not forgive anyone who has offended us? Our Lord Jesus was blunt 
when he was on one occasion teaching about the danger of unforgiveness. This is what he said about his followers that would dare to be unforgiving. Matthew 18, 21 to 35. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Let me interject. The Pharisees taught you had to do it three times. Peter doubled what the Pharisees said and added one and was proud of himself. Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. In other words, unlimited. Stop counting. Goes on. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to pay, repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me, I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So the fellow slave fell to the ground and began pleading with him, saying, have patience with me, I will repay you. But he was unwilling. And he went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on the fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? May I interject, the first debt couldn't be paid by slave wages in multiple lifetimes. We don't believe in reincarnation. It was impossible amount of debt to be paid by a slave, astronomical amount. The amount that that slave was owed by a fellow slave was about two months' wages. So if anybody should have said, have mercy on me, have patience with me, I will repay you, (laughs) it was the fellow slave who could have repaid the unforgiving slave who put him in debtor's prison. And by the way, how do you make money in debtor's prison? Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. And then bottom lines, Jesus bottom lines it. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. That's pretty blunt. Please note that verse 34 of what I just read to you mentions torturers, but it doesn't mention executioners. The Lord is teaching that severe discipline and not eternal damnation is the result of the sin of being unforgiving. If you maintain a posture of refusal to forgive someone for anything, 
If you hold to that position in stubborn rebellion against God's will, then you can expect to be severely disciplined by God. How much better to forgive because you've been forgiven so much. I stand before you with the Bible between us and I do not know who may have offended any of you. I do not know what offense you take at some things that have been done to you. But I do know that whatever anyone has done that has offended you, you do not have the right to say that's an unpardonable sin to me. I do know that whatever anyone has done to you at any point in your life, you do not have the right to refuse to forgive. Okay, Pastor Rob, you don't know my situation. It's good for you to say this blanket statement that I owe my forgiveness to everyone who's offended me, but you don't know what people have done to me. You're just sanctimoniously up there talking about everybody has the debt to forgive. You don't know my life. No, I don't know your life, but I do know this. Let's talk about some situations. Let's talk about the situation of the person who thinks that they've done nothing wrong to cause you to be offended. So they're not going to ask for forgiveness. The Jews who called for Christ's crucifixion and the Romans who carried it out They didn't think they were doing anything wrong. And they never asked the Lord Jesus for his forgiveness. But you know what? He forgave them anyway. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If you've got someone who denies they even offended you and they're never going to apologize to you, forgive them anyway. Or the second situation. The person who offended you is dead. You remember how they offended you, but they are gone. What do you do with that? You forgive them posthumously. You make the decision that even though they're dead, and even though you can't say it to their face, that you're going to say it to the Heavenly Father's face, that when so-and-so who is deceased did such and such to me, Lord, I choose to forgive them. Sometimes I've had persons that needed to do that, write a letter. Write a letter to the dead person that offended them and express in that letter what you would say to them if they were alive. And the bottom line of such a letter is to choose to forgive. I know that some of you have suffered abuse or neglect or abandonment, generational cursing, If you need to do so, write a letter. Write a letter, read it out loud, God hearing you, and then burn the letter because you've forgiven the person who abused you or neglected you or abandoned you and has since died. You know, forgiveness is not really for the offender. Forgiveness is for the offended. To know liberty, freedom, 
Forgiveness is not really for the offender, it's for the offended. Situation three, the person who's offended you and is rather glad that they have done so. That's tough. What do you do about the person who says, yeah, I offended you and I, you deserved it. I'm kind of glad I did. I do it over again. What do you do with that? I think you think about Romans 12, verse 18, which says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. If there are two homeowners that have a fence between their backyards, homeowner A can only be responsible for keeping his yard tidy. Homeowner B can only be held responsible for keeping his backyard tidy. B can't clean A and A can't clean B. Every man or woman is responsible for their own backyard. This verse is so helpful because it says, if possible, it's not always possible. If possible, so far as it depends on you, based on your backyard being clean, live at peace with all men. If the guy beside you doesn't want to have his backyard clean, but you keep yours fastidiously clean, just forge ahead with life. He doesn't want the possibility of living at peace with you. You can't make him live at peace with you. If possible, live at peace with all men. It's not always possible. But even not living at peace with another person doesn't mean you live with unforgiveness because that doesn't give you inner peace. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. That'll work for even the person who's glad they hurt you. Being glad that they hurt you means that their backyard is a mess in God's sight. But you can't tidy it up. Keep your own yard tidy. Situation four, a person's hurt you so deeply that you just cannot forget it. You've tried. But you cannot forget the person, how they hurt you, because they hurt you so deeply. You can choose to forgive and should choose to forgive and must choose to forgive even when you can't forget. I understand. When someone's hurt you deeply, there are flashbacks, there are associations, there are dreams, there are nightmares. Forgive. Remember, if you can't forget, remember, but remember without the emotional charge of of negativity. Some people have hurt me in my life and I've forgiven them. I still remember what they did to me sometimes, but I remember without the, ugh. Ugh. No. I remember what they did, but because I've forgiven them in Christ, I don't have with the memory, ugh. So we've seen four situations. Now let's go from four situations to four observations. I want you to see four things on this topic of forgiving. The first observation is that it's totally ironic 
that the one being who can remember everything chooses to forget our sins. <laughs> the one being, the triune God, who's capable of remembering everything chooses to forget our sins. I can't even remember where I left my car keys. I can't even remember if I brushed my teeth. But I so well remember who hurt me and how they hurt me. Isn't that ironic? <laughs> Observation two, through the Bible and through prayer and through choice, get to the place where you can remember without the negative charge you once felt, the uh, because that is the sweet place of freedom. When you forgive, and then when you remember without the negative charge of emotion, you are in a sweet place of freedom. You're not shackled. You're not in bondage. You're not ruled by someone else. Observation three, through Bible and prayer and choice, get to the place of praying blessing for the person who offended you. That's supernatural. That is grace. To be able to get to the place that the person who hurts you, that you have forgiven, you can pray for their good. Maybe it's to pray for their salvation if they're not a Christian. Maybe it's to pray for blessing on the person you've forgiven. When you get to that place, that's the sweet place of safety. The place of navigating life, looking through the windshield and not staring in the rearview mirror. When I was training to drive in Toronto, the professional driving instructor who taught me how to drive said, you need to look through the windshield and every six seconds refer to the rearview mirror. If I looked through the rearview mirror and referred to the windshield only after every six seconds, I'd have a wreck. That driving instructor took me down narrow, heavily parked streets in downtown Toronto, barely enough wide open road to take the driving school car down safely. And he would do that on purpose. And then as we would, timid drivers start edging toward a parked car, feel for that we're going to scrape it, he'd hit the brake on his side of the driving car. And he said, no, steer with your eyes. Look through the windshield at the open lane of road. Focus on the empty lane of road. Once you've concluded you've got a width of Okay, then just stare at the open lane of road. Once you have forgiveness, once you have given forgiveness, stare at the open road of your future days. He said, if you let your eyes glance at the parked car you don't want to hit, your hands will automatically go where you're looking. We have too many rear-view mirror Christians. Not in a place of safety. Because of unforgiveness, they are driving through life in their rear-view mirror. And a wreck is inevitable. 
through the Bible and through prayer and through personal choice, get to the place of praying blessing for the person who hurts you. Get to the place of safety, navigating life through your windshield and not staring at your rear view mirror. Get to that place of praying blessings for the person who hurts you. You can't hold a grudge. You can't have acrimony with a person you're consistently praying blessing for. You can't. The two don't go together. Observation four. If necessary, seek out professional, biblical, Christ-centered counseling. It couldn't be more accessible to you than it is. It's just 25 yards across this parking lot at the Christian Counseling Center. Some of you may need to have some counseling that's based in God's word, that's Christ-centered, that can help you forgive somebody. Avail yourself of the opportunity. We together must see every possible sin, every possible offense, every possible hurt as something that we are called, have responsibility to forgive. We should not have any attitude that certain litany of sin or hurt is things that we can choose to not be pardoned. (laughs) The slave who could not have paid, working multiple lifetimes as a slave, he couldn't have paid his financial debt, was forgiven by the Lord, the master, He gets out of prison, finds a fellow slave, starts choking him and saying, pay me two months worth of wages. And when he said, I need time to pay you, the forgiven slave throws the other slave into prison. Jesus says that whole arrangement deserves torture. So... 2024 will rule all of our ways in just a matter of hours. The challenge I have for you and me is that none of us would come to the watch night service tonight at 1030 owing anybody forgiveness for anything. I want you to come tonight debt free. I want you to come tonight not owing your forgiveness to anyone for anything by 10.30 tonight. Because the alternative, the fleshly alternative of not forgiving someone is putting yourself in jail. The unforgiving Christian is the Christian who puts them into self, into self-inflicted bondage with anger and resentment and ill will and bitterness. Some of us may have stubbornly held to our unforgiving posture so long that we don't even know we're in prison. We've been bound up, shackled up so much for so long that we don't even know what freedom looks like relationally. So hear me. If unforgiveness is currently your mailing address, move. Someone has guessed it right. 
Not forgiving someone is drinking the poison you hope will kill them. Again, if unforgiveness is your current mailing address, repent and move. And on the first day of January, start unpacking boxes in your brand new house, which is on the street address of 100% liberated. I live on the street 100% liberated. I moved from the street that says, I have a right not to forgive. In closing, I want to give you an expanded translation of Colossians 3.13 based on the original Greek's grammar and diction. You ready? This is Colossians 3.13 expanded. Continuously, repeatedly, without limit, bearing with, that is accepting, being gentle with, not being harsh with, being moderate with, one another. That's whoever, everyone, no exceptions. And continuously, repeatedly, without limit, forgiving one another. If anyone, that is whoever, everyone, no exceptions, if anyone has a complaint, that is an unresolved conflict, unfinished emotional business, if anyone has a complaint against another, again, whoever, everyone, no exceptions, even as, that is, to the degree that, after the pattern that, the 100% that Christ forgave, bracket, didn't hold your sins against you. Also, you and no one else, you must, you are required by God to, you have no, an obligation to, you have a duty to. It is God's across the board will that you do forgive the person. That's an expanded translation of Colossians 3, verse 13. Church family, I hope you know I love you. Together and individually, we must see no sin against us as being unpardonable by us. By 10.30 tonight, pay all the debt of forgiveness that you owe. If you need to make a phone call this afternoon, make the phone call. If you need to knock on the door before 10.30 tonight, knock on the door. If you need to send the email, then hit send before 10.30 tonight that we could assemble without any one of us owing the debt of forgiveness to anyone else. Free, <laughs> relationally healthy, speaking to everybody and anybody. We don't have a cold shoulder for anybody. We don't avoid anybody. 10.30 tonight. Cinderella's coach turned into a pumpkin at midnight. Our hearts are turning over to be totally forgiving by 10.30 tonight. Please stand with me.
Please pray with me. Lord, this has been a right-between-the-eyes sermon, mimicking and copying your right-between-the-eyes statement about unforgiveness using a forgiven slave who would not forgive another slave. Lord, I pray that you would search my heart for any unforgiveness. I pray that each person standing in your presence, whether at home or in the sanctuary, would ask the Holy Spirit to search their hearts for any unforgiveness. And Lord, I pray that with your help, we would humble ourselves, we would risk, we would be proactive, and we would offer forgiveness before 1030 tonight that we would tidy our yards that have been messy perhaps for a long time. Help us to come back tonight not only forgiving but grateful that we've been forgiven. And we ask these things for our good and for the glory of the head of the church and the savior of the body, the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.